Good morning. My name's Nick. I'm the associate minister here at Knox, and it is good to be worshiping with you on this fourth Sunday of Advent as, uh, as a lot of Christmas sort of trickles into our lives and our celebrations here at the church as well. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are the God who comes to us, that in Jesus Christ, love became incarnate and dwelt among us. And we remember Jesus' promise that he would not abandon us, he would not leave us orphans, but he would send your spirit. And so today we pray that your spirit would be among us, that you would come to us in fresh ways once more, that by this reading of your word and by this interpretation, we would encounter you, the living God, the God who is love once more, even as we wait for your fullness in this time and in this place. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The Apostle Paul, in the first letter to the Corinthians, writes these poignant words about all that we now know and all that we now wait for. He writes, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I should know fully, just as also I have been fully known. This is the truth of all our Advent waiting. We see shadows of things which are, sparks of things which we know must come from some flaming source. And we are eager for the time when all the dim reflections become clear before our eyes when partial things will become whole. In all this waiting, the apostle says, faith, hope, and love remain. These three, and the greatest of these is love. Over the last three weeks, we have considered hope and the power that it has to draw our hearts. And we have meditated on peace and joy, which are the signs and the promises of all of our faith. But this week... We wait especially for the advent of love, the greatest week in this season of waiting as we wait for the greatest longing of all of our hearts, as we wait for love. We know that God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them. So our waiting for love this week is not our waiting for the object of our romantic desires, though I know some of us here do wait for that also. Rather, our waiting in Advent for the advent of love is waiting for the day when the love of God, which he has for all creation, will come to bear fully on all things when the love which is the source of all life will replenish and restore us and our world in ways that we can still scarcely imagine. We remember, of course, the time when love first came to us, when love became incarnate and took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord. But more than this remembrance, we wait for the consummation of love as heaven and earth are wed together as we find full union with our God at the wedding supper of the Lamb. In our waiting this week, we look especially to Mary and Joseph to learn from them what it means to wait to receive love with love. 
We look to Mary and Joseph not as they receive love with love at Christmas, but Mary and Joseph as they kindle love in their hearts in preparation for what they will one day know, even as we together now kindle love in our hearts for the very good things which we know are yet to come. Let us consider first Joseph. Joseph is a righteous man, a just man, our text today tells us, a man who understands the law and what is required of him. He challenges what some of us may believe about justice. An article this year in Newsweek had a controversial um, definition of justice, which was offered by a columnist. Justice, this columnist wrote, is the rewarding of friends and the punishing of enemies. The backlash on this definition was so fierce that the article was edited to say the rewarding of good and the punishing of evil. But the editor's note at the end of this amended column clarifies the author views these two phrases as interchangeable. Is that what justice is? The rewarding of friends and the punishing of enemies? Or even to be charitable, the rewarding of good and the punishing of evil? Is that all that justice is? Many of us perhaps would say yes. And here we would depart from Joseph because it was that he was a just man that caused him to desire to divorce Mary quietly. When punishment was due, when humiliation was possible, when the stain on her character would have been clear for all to see, and when there seems to be a grievous relational evil done to Joseph, which by all rights could be accounted for, Joseph turns to mercy. Mercy, we see, is an important part of justice. And the root of mercy must be love. If not love for his betrothed, love for humanity itself in this generous act of mercy. The righteousness of Joseph is on full display here in this first introduction, in this first indication of the love of God that is also present in this story. But Joseph is urged beyond his first good inclination toward mercy. He is urged to continue on in faithfulness, to continue in love toward Mary. The common angelic invitation of do not be afraid is present here, but is not a declaration in itself, which is a little bit strange. Rather, the angel urges, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Do not hesitate to do that which you were intending to do. Continue your course. Pursue this good love. Be bold in your commitment to her beyond all reason, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's true. What is conceived in Mary is not of your blood, but neither is the son of Mary's any evidence of unfaithfulness to you. Rather, it is a sign of her faithfulness to God. This son may not be yours by any natural descent, nor of a human decision, but he is born of God, and you should also receive him. 
Throughout the course of this dream of the angel, Joseph is encouraged toward loving that which is not by any outward calculation his own. Mary cannot reasonably still be his betrothed, and yet he should not be afraid to take her. He will remain with Mary after all, and this son cannot be reasonably understood to be his own, and yet he will adopt Mary's son as his own. In Joseph, the house of David recognizes the heir of David's throne and acts in love toward the one who first loved them. The angel tells David the name which he is to give to the child. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You, Joseph, you, Joseph, who are not this child's father by birth, you are to name him. You are to accept this child so totally as your own that to name him becomes your right. As God declares to the prophet Isaiah, I have called you by name. You are mine. To name another is a profoundly important and personal action. And this is entrusted to Joseph to do. He will adopt this son. He will love him as his own because he will be his own. Let us also consider Mary. Mary who receives her own angelic visitation and in humility says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary shows us a love which allows you to love even that which you could not have imagined for yourself. Mary likely anticipated for herself a common life with her future husband, Joseph. Children, certainly, but not a miraculous pregnancy, not with child by the Holy Spirit, not one who bears the Son of God to the world. These are overwhelming, even frightening ideas. Yet in love for God and in trust for God's goodness and the work of God in her life and the world, Mary submits to God's will accepts what she could not have imagined or chosen for herself, will come to love even the one she now bears, even as he loved her, as he knit her together in her mother's womb. When Mary sings her song, often called the Magnificat, she announces, the mighty one has done great things for me. Imagine being able to receive unexpected, maybe even bad news, and to trust still that the Lord has done great things for us. That we can say, may it be to us as God desires. This is a profound love and a profound trust in God, which surely carried Mary through many troubled nights before this pronouncement and many more since. Mary's love for the ways of God and God's kingdom is the source of her willingness to love a child that she did not plan and a life which she did not choose. In her song, which was read for us today, she sings with great joy of the works of God and the world which God is bringing about. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble he has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich has sent away empty. These are the ways of, and the signs 
of God's kingdom. This is the righteousness and justice of our Lord. The justice which marked Joseph's life and stirs with song in Mary's heart. This is not a world of Mary's design or imagining. This is not the natural inclination of any human heart any longer. We are prone to pride. We are quick to lift ourselves up. We are habitual in our hoarding away. It takes a deep love for God to desire anything other than these things which we now know. And by her love for God, Mary has learned to love the ways of God's kingdom, even though they require that she remain in a humble state, because she trusts that God sees her humility and honors it with great things. And as one who receives the mighty acts of God, truly we can say of Mary with all generations that she is blessed. So too are all blessed who in humility love the ways of God's kingdom, which are not by nature their ways. Blessed by the one who gives good gifts to his children. Blessed to receive great things in a world we are learning to desire beyond anything else we have ever desired. To love more completely than anything else we have ever loved before. Joseph and Mary are the parents to whom the Son of God and Son of Man will be entrusted. Mary by birth and Joseph by adoption. And each is not only an example to us of the love with which we are to receive the gift of love in this world, but each was an example to the child Christ in the ways of love. Jesus was parented. Jesus was raised by these saints of old. And the love of God was reflected by human hearts to the word made flesh, to love incarnate himself. The love of Joseph and Mary, the love of the parents in this holy family, is the first love which the child Christ knows. And in the gospel accounts of Matthew and Luke, they are the first signs of the love with which this child will bear to us and bear to all the world. Consider how the love of his parents are in fact the very signs of the love of Christ himself. In Mary, we see humble submission to the Father's will, a love for God's kingdom which surpasses any love for self-preservation or self-service. And in Christ, we see the Son of God submit to his Father's will, that it may be to him as God has said. Jesus submits himself to the great and mighty work of our God against all self-preservation. And in Joseph, we see the choice to love that which is not our own. And in Christ, we see the Son of God come to those who were his enemies by birth. And he calls them friend, brother, and sister, adopted children of his father. Christ makes us his own. Joseph is the first sign of this radical love of God. Then, even as Joseph saves his family from the sin or would-be sin of others, the punishment of the law, the danger of Herod's sword, more than this, Christ will not only save us from the sin of others, 
but also from our own sin, which no one else can do. Jesus' love is also beyond all reason, that the Son of God should be Savior of all, saving us from ourselves, from our sins. In Christ, we receive the love of one who is completely righteous and just, but does not seek what is due to him, who chooses the way of mercy, and who is not afraid to take us for his own. In Mary's song, we hear of her love for the mighty acts of God, and in the work of Emmanuel, who is God with us, we also become recipients of God's mighty acts, that we may come to love them even when they are unexpected, even when they seem hard. Christ is with us in our lavish riches, that we might be humbled to care for others beyond ourselves. Good news if we are willing to see our neighbor as beloved of God. Christ is also with us in our poverty, that we should be filled with good things. Good news if we will trust his goodness beyond all earthly treasure. As we wait for the advent of love, we, like Mary and Joseph, will wait by kindling love in our hearts. Love even for that which is not ours, that which was not our plan, that which was not our purpose, those who are not by nature our family. We wait to receive the consummation of love with love in our hearts and in our lives, that when others see us, they might see the very love of Christ, which we await the fullness of. Even as we see the love of Christ, as we consider the love of those who were his earthly parents. Then, when Christ returns and the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, then we will find that the love we have kindled in our hearts is fulfilled by the love which has made us for that better world, which even now has done great things for us and who has remembered to be merciful just as he promised to our ancestors. Truly, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. God who is love, it is your love that you gifted to Mary and Joseph a spark which they could kindle to receive love incarnate in this world. We, like them, wait again today. We wait for your love to come in its fullness, for your love to consume all things, for us to know clearly what still we only glimpse faintly. Help us, we pray, to be faithful in kindling your love that we might be the glimmers and sparks that others see which ignite their lives to kindle love, to wait for your kingdom. We do wait for you to come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, we pray. Amen. For our reflection time today, a very simple question. Simple questions are often deceiving. 
an invitation for you to meditate on. How might you be more fully a sign of Christ's love in this world? Thank you.